Welcome to episode 11 with Tom Ferguson, Vice President of Programming for Imagine H2O. Hi, this is Tom Ferguson, VP of Programming for Imagine H2O. This is the podcast that is revolutionizing the way the water industry communicates with the public. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. We are dedicated to sharing stories that demonstrate how communication and collaboration move things forward. If you want to overcome your challenges, then you have to build relationships. Each week, we bring you an inspiring person or resource to give you the tools to curate connections with your customers that create impact. We are so excited for you to be joining us for episode 11. Even more so excited that today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash waterinreallife and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's literally that easy. Just go to audibletrial.com slash waterinreallife, which we love because me and Ari Ann and every single one of our interviewees always gives us a great book suggestion. So easy way to check out any of those. And you can find all of those suggestions in the show notes. We're also incredibly excited today because we are joined again by Tom Ferguson from Imagine H2O. And at Catalyst, he blew us away with a presentation on the seven superpowers for any organization to follow in order to be successful. And he crammed all of this in 30 minutes, so I really love that we're getting the unabridged version. It was really hard for me to only pick three things to kind of tease within this intro, but number one, we get caught up in our work and we lose the general, the simple, those basic principles that are really the non-negotiables that help us be successful, and we need to learn to take the time to stop and really focus on those which leads me to focus and that everyone has an elephant to eat. You have to master the act of focus in order to tackle it one bite at a time. And the power of knowledge compounding. Imagine the potential of your organization. If you encouraged everyone to continuously be learning and that resulted in every person in your organization becoming 15% more knowledgeable each year and that 15% compounding on top of itself each year year multiplied by every single person in your organization lots of good takeaways tons of great takeaways if you're listening to this on a commute or somewhere where you shouldn't be safely writing (laughs) then make sure to give it a listen again and just write down some of these takeaways we had a lot of fun doing that we hope you enjoy so without further ado let's get to the show Tom Ferguson is the Vice President of Programming for Imagine H2O, developing the accelerator model as well as building out the policy and leadership capabilities as they scale. Tom comes to Imagine H2O from strategy roles at Project Frog, a San Francisco green buildings company, and Tamar Energy, an AD network developed in London. Prior to business school, he spent three and a half years with ERM, the sustainability consultancy, where he was an engagement manager. Tom holds an MBA from Harvard Business School and an MA in politics from Edinburgh University. Um, Tom was a little nervous about coming on again so early, and I was like, don't even be nervous about it because, number one, you were a very first episode, and so we're incredibly excited that you would even want to come back to talk to Yeah. 
<laughs> well, of course. I mean, post Catalyst, um, you know, it's uh, it's always a, it's always a huge pleasure. And I think I'm um, talking to you guys set a uh, a few things going off kind of in my head. Um, and then it was a really great opportunity to uh, to kind of crystallize a few of them in terms of speaking to your group uh, at at Catalyst. But I, well, I suppose you might want to explain what um, Catalyst is, maybe. Yeah, and I that like we plan on having the people that we think are badass on regularly because Oprah has like Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil and all of these, and we have like Tom Ferguson and uh, Greg Wukash and all of these people in our lives who have inspired us that we find amazing. And so, don't be surprised if we ask you yet again to come on, because um, you always get us thinking outside of the commu- the traditional communication box. You know, you deal with different things every day and so you're able to kind of bring us in on this on this side of water that we don't get to experience on a day-to-day basis and you know we don't want to get stale we got to keep it fresh so it's the best way for us to uh you know keep it real keep it fresh but um as tom so so this is again why we have you on here we should probably tell everyone what catalyst was about if this is your first water in real life podcast episode you may not know that all of the I guess episodes one through nine well even ten because this is also going to be talking about Catalyst were interviews with our Catalyst speakers and Catalyst was a mastermind summit program that we co-hosted with San Antonio Water System Texas section of American Water Works and the Water Environment Association of Texas uh, in uh, last week and it was for water educators and communicators created by water educators and communicators because there really wasn't uh, a space for for just a focus on them and what they do and the things that they need to help develop themselves professionally to network build out their networks and just get re-energized because so many people in that biz are just incredibly passionate about what they're doing every single day and they're pouring their heart and souls into it every single day and not having that kind of recharge and not getting poured back into and that's that's how you get burnt out i mean teachers experience experience the same kind of thing everyone actually experiences it like if you never get the opportunity to get recharged and re-energized about what you're doing especially if you're passionate about it um you're gonna get burnt out and so we wanted, we wanted to do that. And we were so grateful that Greg Wukash at SAWS was like, hey, uh, let's do this. And then even more grateful that every single person that we reached out to to be a speaker at Catalyst was, I mean, there was no arm twisting at all. They were all resounding yeses and we didn't have to work hard for it. And Tom was one of those. And unfortunately, uh, due to time and distance, he wasn't able to be there for us in real life. Shameful. <laughs> but he presented to uh, us in, uh, well, you know, thank goodness for technology, um, virtually. And so, but Tom is one of those people that is best experienced in real life. And so <laughs> we are 100% hoping that for Catalyst 2019, that he graces the stage with his presence and his energy and his effervescent personality big harvard business school words <laughs> that's really kind of, that's really kind of you and yes i deserve that 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so in episode one, I'm just going to get right in there. Um, in episode one, when we interviewed you, you shared with us what Imagine H2O was all about, but you guys have been really busy since the innovation forum that happened in March. And so uh, you talked about some of that when you were introducing yourself to the group at Catalyst. So take a minute to bring us up to speed on what you all have been up to and, you know, all the good things you've been doing around the world since then. Well, yeah, thanks. Um, uh it's where and it's obviously great to be um uh back speaking to to you guys um you really did an amazing job with with catalyst i um haven't seen such happy people at the end of a <laughs> at the end of a conference in my life so you definitely did you did an amazing job um in for, as far as what we've been up to um you know as ever it kind of feels as if we're um we we're just about on the edge of biting off more than we can chew which is where you want to be right you know yeah. um, uh, kind of pushing the pushing the limits of it um, but we've done a, a bunch of stuff. I mean, the, you know, the, the big thing was, you know, is making sure that the companies, um, you know, uh, uh, benefited from the momentum from um, after the, the, the gala in SF week, which is when we see them in person. Um, but making sure we absolutely maximize the amount of customer and investor touch points, as well as, you know, um, any of the advice and mentorship that um, we and our network can provide. So we've done, you know, a whole bunch of uh, online sessions and they've ended up with an average of uh, 50 plus um, customer touch points and 30 yeah. investor touch, uh, touch points per, um, per company at the halfway point, which is exciting. Um, but in terms of, in terms of the, the overall programming stuff, it's been, it's been great. We, too, we completed um, the IH2O, first IH2O China program, uh, taking 18 companies from 13 countries to uh, Shanghai uh, last month um, to be in the uh, Imagine H2O uh, um, uh, smart water hub in a hundred thousand person conference um, in what must be the wow. largest standalone building in the world. It is wild. It's cr really just um, totally different scale. Um, and that went excellently. We are just about to close our urban drinking water challenge, which has been open for a month. We're looking for the three top startups that can have the largest kind of, um, you know, hopefully near term, but medium term impact on urban drinking water issues. Um, we've had, as of this morning, 119 applications for three spots, um, which is pretty crazy. This is in, this is, this is um, in addition to the accelerator that will be opening later in August. And then my colleague Nashley Kaplan Daly has been doing amazing stuff on our policy side of things, and then my other fantastic colleague Kelly Trot has been doing brilliant stuff on the program we've got going in the in the Central Valley. It's um, it's all go. Um, we will get everything done, but um, uh, and it's nice that you know we're people are placing their their, their trust in us. Um, and um, yeah, we've got some some really interesting things coming up over the uh, the, the current months, and obviously we'll keep keep you guys up to up to date, keep you posted. Yeah, please do, because we, we love to talk about you guys, whether it's on the podcast or in social media. So, yeah, keep, it, keep us in loop with that. Your social media game is second to none. Yes. <laughs> um, that's quite a shout out. Um, <clears throat> so, at Catalyst, you closed the show, and we actually ended Catalyst with a section we called Tribal Collaboration. And you really did make everyone feel, everyone in the room, feel like they were part of this global water community. Can you try and recreate that for, for <laughs> anyone that wasn't able to be a part, to, to be at Catalyst? Right, absolutely. So it's very important to imagine my, um, you know, underwhelming face about four <laughs> feet high on the wall. 
Um, so yeah, really what the point we were trying to, to make is that, um, you know, we've consciously in the last couple of years really tried to build out our kind of global network because we want to be able to provide a bridge for, you know, maturing companies. Some of our companies have been with us since, you know, for nine years now, and they're really looking for, to establish themselves globally. And that kind of demands of us that we build a global network. So from our kind of beta partners, these, um, companies and utilities that promise to be warm introductions for early stage companies, um, you know, we are now represented all over the world. We just brought on two from Singapore, one from Japan. Um, we'll have a, a couple from China. We're certainly um, going to be uh, having a, uh, uh, an agreement with someone from South Africa. But being, being, you know, building these, these bridges um, really reflects kind of where the startups are coming from. So we had 206 applications from 36 countries last year. And so it's incumbent upon us. Or it's or it's it's required of of us um, to really build a, a network that can provide value to to all of those people because any of them could be selected at any kind of given time, and what we've discovered is that there are you know professionals that uh, professionals struggling with problems that look a lot like the problems that the people that we know you know uh, near and dear to us in the in the US that are they are facing. And, and I, what I thought was really important for your, the room that you were speaking to, the people that you had at Catalyst to take away, is that there really is this international network of people just like them that mm. are grappling with the same issues. Because in the end, we're you know, all dealing with um, relatively similar organizations because they're built on the, exactly the same commodity. You know, the characteristics of water and the organizational elements that have, have built up around water over time you know, tend to produce similar sorts of problems. Um, so everyone worldwide can learn from each other, that they can go and meet. Not like everyone is as, you know, passionately committed to, to water as, as, um, as people from, uh, people at Catalyst were. Um, and yeah, and that best thing is that the, is the nature of the problems are the same. So essentially you all kind of speak the same language. Um, and as we kind of go around the place, people are, you know, desperately trying to kind of learn from each other, trying to find the best way to, to do things. And one of those key problems is communication, right? Everyone in water needs to communicate better, you know, needs to, to simplify, needs to bring through new voices. So, so the work that you were doing in that room in San Antonio is, uh, is absolutely vital because, you know, they need it in Manila and Jakarta and Pretoria and Buenos Aires and Mexico City, right? You know, nowhere is the water story told, told as well as it really, it really should be. So, you know, it's, a, um, it's an absolutely vital piece of the puzzle. Did we just go worldwide? <laughs> I think we just went worldwide. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Worldwide. <laughs> global, global tour. Yeah, one of the attendees uh, said, when Tom said there is a global community of, I don't know that you said water nerds, but water professionals that are waiting for you, that are just waiting for you, that it was, they were like, wow, I really am part of this global water community because we all get stuck in our ruts, you know, and we forget totally. that. And so I really love that you're able to drive that home because that's, that's, what, that's what I wanted you to do. You, <laughs> you did it. It's so difficult. It's so difficult doing it, doing it remotely because I just thought I'd stunk the place out. Um, yeah. It was terrible. Uh, but um, it was, it was, I was so relieved when I got your, your text message um, uh, afterwards um, because I was very worried that um, I basically underwhelmed in, 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 a, in a sort of hilarious slash tragic fashion. 
Um, <laughs> well, even if you did, it was still hilarious and, you know, you're doing All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, as, well, as long as people are bringing the funnies, I suppose you can forgive most <laughs> yeah. sins. I mean, you can't go wrong with Calvin and Hobbes. I mean... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very important to bring in the 16th century uh, theologian and the 17th century philosopher. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's really you important. Nailed it. Hashtag nailed it. Um, so in your presentation, since we're talking about it now, you really schooled us on what you've seen to be uh, the top seven things that make for a successful water organization. And you dubbed them the seven superpowers. So tell you, tell us a little bit about kind of how you got brought to these seven. Like how did these seven kind of just like, did they come to you in a dream? Um, <laughs> <was Right. it? laughs> yeah, along with my Technicolor dream coat. Yeah, the, um, uh, <laughs> No, I think I, I think w w when when I was um you know trying to kind of really reflect on what we'd learned from uh, the the um the ninety companies, but really in reality, kind of the the eight hundred plus companies that have applied kind of to a, to imagine H two O. What what like one of our advantages is that we were able to see through kind of the lens of time what makes a an effective you know entrepreneurial organization in water. Um, and I was just trying to kind of willow down from the uh from the kind of the the, the almost the the um the specific down to the generalized like what are the things that our top top teams really have in common like what is it that makes them successful and it could be kind of you know like ability to fundraise and all this kind of stuff but if you just ask why to each one of those questions it comes down to kind of what we think are fundamental elements and obviously you know these kind of things because it's you know eventually going to be a, a blog post and blog post needs catchy titles yeah we called them the seven superpowers <laughs> but um but really all of these i think are are principles or observations about um particularly thinking um, and the way in which people structure their time and their organizations and, um, uh, and the way in which they think about problem solving in order just to make themselves more effective. And once we'd finished doing that, um, it seemed abundantly clear to me that this is not just about um, early stage companies. This is about any kind of, um, any kind of uh, organization, um, but particularly kind of in, in water. And it was, um, you know, it's great to, to, to try them out. I've been, you know, thinking about them more or less kind of constantly. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're uh, we're we're on to something, and I'm I'm glad that you you agree. Um, I think the paranoia with these th with these things usually is that you know is this you know is it just too simple? Um, yeah. And I think actually one of the things that we do as humans, and certainly as we get kind of you know a, an inch away from the kind of the mirror of our work, is that we kind of we lose we lose the general, we lose the simple, we lose the kind of the, the principles that actually we need to make sure are the non-negotiables in terms of what we do in order to remain effective. Because getting caught up in the minutiae and the busy work, you can certainly kind of feel, you know, uh, stressed and you can feel like you're moving the, the ball down the field in the way that you should be doing in a, in a job. But we very rarely does anybody get the opportunity to step back and say, hang on, like, what are the really what are the really kind of fundamental things that we need to be doing to make sure that we're going to be an effective uh, an effective organization and this is kind of you know our contribution hopefully to that uh, to that conversation well i think we've dangled the carrot for long enough so let's just get into it what's uh, the the oh, first right. one you started with was team so tell us about team yeah so so the first one the first couple of uh, i don't think are going to be any surprise to uh, to anyone especially the second one for you but the first one um you know, all, you know, all the plans in the, in the world um, 
you know don't don't happen unless you kind of have the the, the right people um really every plan uh, promise every assignment comes down to kind of the person responsible and and choosing those people is paramount obviously to the to the success of an organization um and then so the question then becomes like you know how do you get the right people kind of on board or how do you kind of shape your uh, shape your team so that they are they are you know acting as the people that you need them to be in order to be able to um, you know execute the, the the plans that you know everyone in the organization should be um, should be building towards um, and I'm a huge believer you know in some areas obviously you need kind of you know giants of technical expertise right you know absolutely there's you know you, you uh, we absolutely need you know the financial experts and the obviously the, the you know the civil and water engineers we need the operators um uh and and all of these absolutely vital um areas where you know resume really matters experience really matters but what we see a lot is people putting out job descriptions that are a couple of pages long and are unbelievably prescriptive that prescribe that, that describe exactly the job that is kind of going to uh, that this person is going to be going to be dropped into and i think that, that overlooks a couple of really key things so the first one is um like clay christensen has this absolutely fantastic he's an hbs professor um he's the guy who came up with um uh, disruption theory. So he has this absolutely fantastic idea of schools of experience is that we're always looking for people who have done the exact job and we're never looking for people who have done things in their lives that are a great approximation of what you will need to do in that job and as a result are very very likely to be good at that job and also come at it fresh. Mm -hmm. So for example if you need people to be a kind of a community and outreach manager Right. If you can find somebody who's been like organizing kind of mid-sized music festivals for the last five years, it's a reasonable bet. Like they don't have they don't have any idea about utilities, right? And they don't have no idea about utility customers, and they're going to need to be trained on it. But in terms of like the actual core set of um, experiences, um, they're going to be unbelievably useful. Um, in terms of not only um, being uh, immediately uh, uh, strong at the job that they are being kind of asked to do, but also bringing kind of a, a fresh perspective and, and new ideas. And and so, you know, that uh, one, the first idea is kind of, yeah, it, it, as I say, is schools of experience. And then the second is just this notion of horsepower. If you can find um, a good, sorry, bad word, a competent <laughs> person who works hard and is efficient, and get things done basically takes things from a to b to c to d um and it's somebody that you want to work with like that that notion of personality fit is like way everyone always thinks that that's kind of like a fuzzy thing that you shouldn't solve for in interviews you absolutely should solve for it um but finding somebody who's like fresh out of college and has zero experience but you get the feeling that they're going to have like a ton of horsepower and get things done i really is like a, a a massive advantage and the other thing is that you know people who come into uh, into teams where they can be trained on the job they don't come with you know a ton of baggage right yeah, yeah. um when they're trying to do to uh, to do something new um this is a classic problem that you hear all the time with from people with mbas guilty uh, sorry scott uh, scott's my boss um is that is, is that people who 
who don't have like a whole load to unlearn before they can go and I've seen, I've seen, I've heard people that, you know, obviously, you know, whisper it, but, um, you know, places like Uber saying that, you know, I had to really beat the MBA anthem because we're kind of conditioned to think that, you know, strategy is the fairest science. And what I've come to learn is that, Strategy without execution is 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 mindless mindless bullshit. In sorry, excuse me, my friend is mindless <laughs> bullshit executed in executed in rooms by people that really should know better. You know, it's the it's the it's what happens on the front line. It's the execution that matters, and the execution often seems simple, but in aggregate, it's unbelievably complicated. We think that this the, the people who can demonstrate horsepower are unbelievably uh, useful, and it just comes down to this this idea of execution, right? Um, HBR had this crazy statistic that um is from an article uh, last year that 67 percent of corporate strategies fail because of poor execution right and that comes down to people right the teams the the leadership right and having the right people for the for the right job is just a, a crazy advantage so we we thought it would be remiss to start anywhere other than team golly i wish why can't you live closer so we can like you know have a beer once a week and just like i would love that I want to like listen to you. <laughs> School, uh, I love it. Um, you want to? Um, well, sorry, I was I'm taking notes because I'm I'm like relearning everything. I'm unlearning all I've ever learned, <laughs> yeah. and I'm relearning right now as he speaks. Because um, I feel like you just described the only reason why anyone ever hired me when I was fresh out of college in 23. <laughs> right. Me too. I had the horsepower and like, I would, that is, oh my gosh, I want every like 22, 23 year old to bring that into their interview. Like, I may not yep. have that kind of experience, but I have horsepower. Like, whoa, yep. yeah. I'm down with that person. Yeah. Yeah. Getting stuff done is, is, is big. I'm a freaking Lambo, y'all. That's what they need to come yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, um, number two was our favorite. Um, right. We yes. need topic, not like yeah. number two. Yeah. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, number two is fun to tweet about. <laughs> Absolutely. Hashtag water puns. And and tweeting is and tweeting is integral to number two. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's this one is like number two and tweet. Yeah. So, yeah. give us your take on uh, on the communication. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, you, the people who are listening to this, you know, I, I'm obviously like just as with Catalyst preaching to the preaching to the choir. Um, but again, like all the people and plans are, uh, in the world are irrelevant if you can't communicate it, um, you know, both internally and externally. Like the power of storytelling is is absolutely enormous. And again, it gets treated as fluff. You know, why would we have a storytelling workshop in a water utility? Um, that's not what we do. We don't need to do that. You absolutely do need to do that. Um, because being able to communicate like the value of your organization in the community underpins pretty much everything that you want to do uh, up to and including the politics of your board um, or all the way into the uh, the rate rises. Um, you know, the most fundamental things that a water utility is going to need to do is going to rely on communications and it is it is absolutely undercooked um, as, a, as, a, as an issue. But it, it's not just water utilities, right? Um, it's all water organizations. Um, you know, startups in water, you know, we try and get ours to, 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 to be as strong on this as possible. But it's, um, if you walk into, you know, any water conference or any kind of, um, you know, st- uh, startup pitch competition, it's almost invariably you'll have maybe 60 to 70 percent you know, their slide deck doesn't look good. Or you look at their logo and you think, ah, and it's like, wait, hang 
on a second, I have no idea what brand you're trying to communicate. You know, what all these kind of problems are, you know, are, are, a, are a real issue. And the good thing is that they're relatively simple to solve. It's just, you know, banging the drum over and over and over again. It's making sure that you're very, very clear about your, the, the message that you're trying to convey, um, obviously both internally and externally. Kind of, you know, the, the biggest kind of examples I can kind of point to is that, you know, every organization should have a mission and a vision. Right. Um, and then a set of core values. And then a set of core values. Right. And you need to make those visible. Um, I was so struck. I walked into the Santa Clara Valley Water District uh, just a couple of years ago when I was relatively new. And I looked up and there was a banner in their front hall um, that said exactly what the mission was. Yeah. You know, write the goddamn thing on the wall. You know, that there's, there's, um, I can't remember whether this is apocryphal, but I've been parroting it ever since. You need to say something 24 times internally before anybody believes you yes constant banging of the drum whether it's a strategy or a mission or a vision or it's the focus for this quarter or or whatever it is or some cultural change you're trying to affect like it's hard but if you can get good at it it's a total superpower because everybody else is is really not uh really not that great at it Uh, and you're gonna get sick of hearing yourself and you're gonna think that everyone's heard it a million times and you're gonna think that they're tired of you and they want to like follow you or whatever but the truth is is they probably haven't even heard it yet so just keep on saying it i think that's like the biggest thing is that we get so caught up in thinking that we're just saying the same thing over but um that it's just we've had that time and time again in conversations where we're like well isn't everyone kind of tired of hearing about that and they're like they haven't even heard it yet so keep on (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Your and I think Facebook post, you know, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. might be the best like poster in the world. Nope. But your one pe- Facebook post about one thing, one topic, um, I'm sorry, it didn't get to every single person. So just keep going a little bit more. Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. Okay. It's fine. And it's okay to repost stuff. Like, Yay. All the rest. Yeah, all the rest of it. I think just the, like one, the one last point on this is that, um, it is, it is the essence of an unfair advantage. Um, with the entrepreneurs, we're always looking for unfair advantages. What have they got that can't be replicated? And people usually jump, jump straight to the technical. But one of the big things is, is um, you know, being able to tell a story. And the, you know, the fundamental way of, of doing that is, is charisma, right? That, that, that can obviously go wrong. Um, if you're overly charismatic and you don't have the, uh, the execution kind of behind it, then you can blow up rather large sums of money. I'm looking at you, Saranos. Um, you're looking at me. I know. I got nervous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we're we're bad blood. Anyway, we're probably going to talk about that later. Like a hundred bucks on a bottle of wine, but I didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, but but in in terms of, I was really struck by this. I saw um, Alexandra uh, Acacio Cortez, you know, who just got elected in um, in New York. Um, No matter what you think of her politics, right? Is that is you you look at that person, and she's got more charisma in her little finger than most people have in their entire body you watch it and you want to listen to her you want to be around her you want to be part of the message that she is saying and if you are a natural communicator and you have like whatever it is it's really hard to teach it's really hard to teach and for in terms of organizations like if we're just talking from the point of view of early stage companies people who are able to convince their first investors and their second investors and third investors, but more importantly, their initial customers, even more importantly, the team members that want to come in and do something as crazy as be part of a water startup, right? You know, being able to tell the story is absolutely vital 
across the board. And it really is like an absolutely unfair, unfair advantage. So that's, yeah. that's the communications piece. Reach. Um, okay. So number three was incentives. And so what's a strategy you feel that water educators and communicators can use to incentivize water in order to give impact to the whole value of water narrative? I think that may be one place where they may look at that and say, Hmm, what, what does that mean to me? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, um, uh, well, I'll just start with the, I'll start with the kind of the incentives piece itself, because the next three are a little bit more kind of cognitive, right? These are just sort of things that you, you just need to be thinking about, um, in terms of like, you know, fundamental principles about how you appraise yourself at any kind of given, given moment. So, you know, this all comes from reading, um, uh, Charlie, Charlie Munger, um, who is, uh, for anyone who doesn't know is, um, is Warren Buffett's, uh, He's the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, um, and I've I've started to describe him as, him as a wisdom Pez dispenser. Um, I really I, I properly I think that. that everybody needs to read anything that has he has written or has been written about him um, as as soon as possible. But he has two great quotes about this. The first one is um, is incentives are the iron law of nature. You get what you reward for. If you want ants to come, you put sugar on the floor right is that people respond to incentives and it's absolutely if you think about the you know our most base version even before we became homo sapiens right is that we are hungry we're incentivized to go and get food okay and then we don't have an incentive to cheat on our tribe because otherwise we'll get kicked out of the tribe <laughs> right you know it's 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 totally like totally fundamental and he um and he right really hammers this this home the second quote is never ever think about something else when you should be thinking about the power of incentives mm. so so whatever it is that you're trying to achieve you really do need to have this kind of mental check checklist checklist or an overview of the incentives of all of your the parties involved so internally and externally internally to be able to be allowed to do to go and do and get what you want to get done done and then externally because you we're all in the business of behavior change, right? You guys especially are in the business of behavior change. Um, and so really thinking about incentives that, you know, lets you understand like how likely are people to change and inevitably given that we are humans, the answer is not likely. Okay. Yeah. And, and given that, and given that fundamental truth, like where are our pressure points in order to be able to, you know, get people to change? Like what is likely to change their mind? How are they going to feel about a particular issue? And you don't need to be a mind reader. Um, it's impossible to be a mind reader, but you can put the odds of being right in your favor by considering kind of their, their incentives. Um, and it's just absolutely amazing what happens when you start, start to see your plans uh, and actions through the, the, the prism of incentives. Um, and I just want to say that this really is not about money. Yeah. Right. Is that like money helps. Okay. Everyone in the water industry is underpaid um, or 99% <laughs> of people in the water industry are under, underpaid. Um, uh, this is not about money. Right. You know, more often this is about the intangibles that remain once money is not enough. So belonging and fun and meaning and quality of life and being part of a tribe. Well, that's the belonging thing, I suppose. But, um, but all like if you can get good uh, at understanding and, and working with incentives and deploying this line of thinking in your organization, it really is genuinely a superpower. And so, and so to your question, right? So a strategy for educators and communicators um, 
unfortunately, where I would probably come out on this, there are probably two, two things that you'd want to create in terms of, you know, incentives. One, one is, um, one is highlighting, almost highlighting the downside. There are, there are kind of nuanced way of, ways of doing it. But people are incentivized to vote yes to rate rises once they understand a couple of things. One, the parlor state, the terrible state that the, um, the water uh, infrastructure is in at the moment. Um, and then, uh, you know, secondly, how actually really kind of reasonable the rates are in, in, in the context of um, all of the other um, things that they are paying for. Everything from their cell phone to their electricity bill, you know, whatever. Like water is, you know, really, really, really really, really cheap. It's obviously up to the, you know, utilities to make sure that rate, um, rate rises, you know, don't um, uh, excessively impact the, the least willing to, the least able to pay and that um, people who can't pay have a, have a kind of a, a pressure valve, a way of um, being able to make sure that they retain access to the, you know, the, the most fundamental, um, the most fundamental commodity. Um, but what the, I mean, the advice just to, to, um, to educators is just to think, okay, so what is the narrative that I'm trying to put out? Why am I trying to put it out? And what are my chances of success are in terms of bringing about the change in, ter people's in terms of people's perceptions of the water industry? And, in all, and, for, and for what end? I mean, am I trying to create, to bring in, you know, more talent into the industry? Am I trying to secure a rate rise? Am I trying to, you know, get a different makeup of my, you know, supervisory board? Um, or, or, or whatever kind of it might be. Yeah, so. I'm glad that I actually got to kind of hear you go through that again, because as you're talking, I was like, oh, well, it's not really about, for a communicator, it'd be like finding, knowing your audience well enough to know what you need to incentivize for them, i.e., what does this have to do with me? Because people are ultimately only interested in something once they know how it impacts them and their life and their day-to-day. That, to me, that, that's kind of the takeaway. If you're an educator, communicator, don't look at it just from the perspective of what do I want to tell them, but like what does this have to do with them and to kind of make them, bring them in and make them a part of the story. Kind of just start with empathy and, and see how you can tell water story in a context that resonates with your audience versus just you trying to get through an agenda. So. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's a, we would say this in in you know from the, the entrepreneurial perspective is know your customer. Yeah. Right? We yep. want to see we want to see the results of two hundred and fifty customer surveys, uh, really before anyone's picked up a soldering iron. You know, um, <laughs> is because you you know, like what their action set is at the moment and what is going to be able to incentivize them to change that action set. And people ch hate changing their action sets, and they hate paying more money for stuff. Yep. And so how are you going to cut through that like incentive structure to be able to get the outcome that you want? It really is. That's why I said, it, you know, it's, it, it's cognitive. It's really just a framing thing. And then the, the, the next one is, is similar. Um, but incentives really could not be more important. And I think it applies to those who are in the same, you know, communication, education. But sometimes we get either by choice or not told to handle the workforce development side of it or um, just the customer taking, service it, side of it. Yeah. Or just taking that, that leadership role of internally like incentivizing um, the guys and gals who don't get paid a lot and, or maybe you have no control over how much they get paid, but you certainly can apply that same 
uh, mindset and yeah, and it's, yeah, you know, towards their quality of life and stuff like that. So exactly, no, exactly. Like you guys, you know, really understand that one, and it's um, people very rarely think about it, um, and that's what makes it a superpower. It is. Ooh, I'm beginning to feel a little like a Wonder Woman right now. Um, yes, that's my yeah. Okay, focus. <laughs> So, so right. number four. Yeah, exactly. Um, if this is, yeah. We talked a lot about ways to tackle the whirlwind at Catalyst and also how to get laser focused on your mission and your why. Uh, so kind of talk to us about your take on focus as a superpower. Yeah, this is the one that I think people are like, yeah, I get it. Like, well, I need to focus, but I've got a million things to, to do, right? And everyone is right. You know, in any given job, and especially I think within the kind of the water sector, given the gap between what needs to get done and the resources that we have to get those things done, um, you know, everybody has an elephant to eat. Okay. Um, and, ah, yes. you know, there is, there is only one way to eat the elephant. And I know this is a hack, this is obviously hackneyed, but, um, you know, you really need to find a way of eating it kind of one, one step at a, at a time because everywhere we look, um, that, you know, there is another challenge. Like mm -hmm. we, we go on about this endlessly because we see so many people with a, with a, you know, a, a technology that could be applied to X and Y and F and M and whatever, like sectors all over the place and countries all over the world. Um, and they're saying that that's a good thing. Well, eventually, sure. But actually what we want to do is I want you to find me 50 people that share a common problem and are currently utterly miserable and have both the willingness and, and ability to pay to remove some of that min, min, uh, misery from their lives through your solution. Like what you are then showing me is a set of customers who are going to be your kind of base of revenue, even when you haven't got the product perfect yet, right? And you only get to those 50 customers by focusing. Um, like in, in general, like it, given that we are resource constrained kind of organizations that, you know, trying to do 45 things at once means that you're almost guaranteed to do 45 things kind of 15% well, maybe that's going to be well enough. Yeah. But if you choose four or three, hopefully two, ideally one at any given time, then you're shot at doing it a hundred percent well, which in entrepreneurship, you really kind of need to, to be able to cut through, um, you know, existing incentive structures and incumbents and all this kind of, you know, the array of hurdles that are kind of set against you. You need to give yourself a shot at doing the thing that you are trying to do a hundred percent well. And anything that detracts from that, is 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 the opposite of a superpower it is a super hindrance um <laughs> I, yeah, if you if you want to go that way um but uh but this just this idea of focus is really really hard to get people to do because well, well we're going to go on to opportunity costs because people are terrified of 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 making kind of the wrong decision that you know you focus kind of in the wrong place and then you're kind of off uh you're off down some kind of uh some kind of rabbit hole and there could have been this pocket of revenue over here and oh but this large company is interested in quote unquote a partnership um over there and then you know you don't want to leave that value on the table and i kind of understand it um but it really is absolutely amazing what happens when people commit to a kind of a given line of thinking of uh, or a given line of of activity and saying nope for the next 18 months with product number one 
Um, I, and for the utility, it's like, you know, uh, are we going to really, um, are we going to really, really focus on whatever it is like pipeline renewal at the moment? Like everybody's got a zillion things to do. That's okay. But it's really the job of leadership, whether you're a one person organization or a thousand person organization to absolutely define the priorities. And if you haven't done that, you are hobbling your ability, uh, to do things, to do things well. Um, Shane Parrish, uh, if anybody... Um, if you haven't looked at the knowledge project, uh, yet, it's absolutely fantastic. Is that a book? It's a website. It's a oh. website, um, run by a, a super nice Canadian dude. Um, uh, <laughs> which is kind of a tautology, I, I think. Um, uh, the, uh, but you know, his, his quote about this, which was the, he came out with recently is, um, your goal is to find a few intelligent things to do, not do every damn thing that comes across your desk. Um, Amen. One, one really good way of, of focusing um, is to shut your laptop down. My, I was talking to my wife about this this morning, and she said, it's amazing what happens to my brain when I close my laptop. You know, <laughs> when, I, when I take the screen away, when I do not have access to my email account. Um, and we were discussing this, you know, uh, just b before this, is, you know, really scheduling time to, to think and to make sure that you have and you know this goes on to stuff we'll talk about later, but um, but but making sure that that focus is there, um, because once you've got things done, they tend to stay done. They need a little bit of tending, but then you can move your focus on elsewhere. And what you're doing is you're building a house on good foundations, rather than kind of splurging a bunch of um, attention all over the place, um, and then building a house on kind of rickety, kind of like crappy bricks that are going to fall apart at the first sign of, of stress, like. When an entrepreneur is trying to build an organization, they need to make sure that every brick is really, really nailed. And you only get that with focus. Absolutely. So you kind of already hinted at opportunity costs. And it was funny because when we talked prior to your presentation, you were nervous about dropping something like opportunity costs to a room full of creatives. But I yes. think it went over well. So right. uh, <laughs> why do you think opportunity costs is important in a superpower? Oh, it takes me back to undergrad economics. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, so anything that we do, Anything that we do, the cost of what we do is what we give up to get it or what we, what, what, or, or what we give up to do it. The cost of what we're doing is, the, uh, is, is, what, is what we're not doing um, with that time kind of instead, which then kind of logically leads you to the choice of what you do with your time at any given point is pretty much the most valuable thing that you can think about because, you know, there are a lot of replaceable commodities out there, um, including money. Right. But the one thing that is not replaceable is uh, is time. Um, and so if you're not spending your time on the absolute kind of highest and best use at any given time, like there is a pretty strong argument that that is time wasted. Now, obviously, like when I say this out loud, I always sort of think I sound like a bit of a psycho. Like, you know, I, I love I like Netflix. I like going to the pub. I like going to the park with my son. Um, actually, I wouldn't say that that is, that, that's probably, that is definitely the highest, best use of my time. Um, Netflix, not. I love the pub so much that I would definitely probably also classify that as the highest and best use of my time. Um, but one of the keys to minimizing kind of opportunity cost is, is just really thinking deeply about what it is you're trying to do and create a hypothesis for how you're going to do before you start. And then at the forum, we had, um, uh, we had IDEO come and, come and speak to us. And one of the things that they do, and for people who don't know IDEO, I encourage you to go and look them up. Um, their concept of human-centered design is absolutely crucial to, to successful entrepreneurship. Um, it, it, one of the things they do is they have, um, it's, it's crappy buzzwords, but divergent and then convergent 
like idea generation. So divergent, if you think of a, a two lines going far away from each other, the space in between them is getting larger and larger. And what they're trying to do in that stage is basically create, all, for a given outcome that they are trying to get, like let's throw the ideas at the wall. No ideas, too dumb. Let's get them out onto the wall and so we understand our universe of choices. And then on the convergent side, you're just trying to bring those lines back together. And when those lines join again, what you have then is a course of action. And so by looking at the universe, you can then start crossing off the, you know, the probably the, the Tom ideas, the kind of really crazy, stupid ones. Um, and, then, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then you're narrowing it down. You're narrowing it down. And what that does is that it forces you to think about the different paths you could be taking. And it, it, it minimizes the probability of you ending up in somewhere where, in a course of action, where you're not minimizing opportunity costs. Now, everybody fails right? But all you're trying to do when you're doing anything in any project is trying to minimize the probability that you are totally barking up the wrong tree. We will always learn in terms of whatever we're doing, but you're just trying to, uh, like, you're trying to, trying to, you know, involve, uh, sorry, avoid um, what the entrepreneurs are kind of, you know, very susceptible to doing, which is just kind of like you've identified a problem and then you kind of run in screaming without asking kind of, the, you know, the key question, like, what, what problem am I solving? Who am I solving it for? Like, how do I know they can pay for it? How do I know they will pay for it? What is the universe of ideas that's out there that is going to do the job that I need this product to do? And how do I design it brilliantly so it fits the needs of the customer kind of absolutely? You just can't be wasting time, right? So making sure that you're on at least directionally the right path is, is just so powerful. Um, and we can debate the veracity of this kind of observation, but if you're on a bicycle and you have two options, um, left or right, uh, and you should be going right and instead you turn left and you cycle for an hour, um, you then realize you screwed up and then you have to cycle back an hour, by which point you are two hours behind the person that took the right way. I think that that logic holds for prioritization uh, and um, uh, and projects, whether you're in a, a tiny or an enormous organization, just like give yourself the highest possible chance of choosing the right direction at the beginning. And then you are in a great position to do as much as you possibly can with your time kind of as an organization overall. That couldn't have been said to a better crowd than a group of creatives, seriously, because mm -hmm. we can go down some serious rabbit holes. And you're not far off on that whole divergent convergent thinking because I actually went to um, a Disney Institute and uh, it's just kind of like a mini day camp with some Disney folk. And that's literally like the very first thing they make you decide. Are you a convergent thinker or divergent thinker? And then how do you find the other person or other group or, um, you know, how, both of those are needed. And so that was, yeah. that's cool to hear. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. And it's amazing kind of where, where how often this comes up kind of in the, um, or how, how much great kind of overall organizational thought does come out of the creative industries. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. People who haven't read Creativity Inc. yet need to. It's oh my gosh. Awesome. Book. Yes, yes. That's one of my favorite all-time books. And when we got to Mansfield, I was like, "We have to creativity ink the heck out of this place." So, uh, <laughs> so we, that didn't happen. But we're creativity inking the the, the industry. Yeah, the whole industry. The whole one. The whole Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, 
So I love number six, which was all about the basics. Yeah. And, well, uh, I'm... Yeah, go ahead. I'll just let you go into it because I, I feel like I suffer from hardcore like imposter syndrome and it's the simple things like the basics that really like you know. Yeah. Well, I think everyone, everyone does, right? You're, you're really not alone in, in doing that. You know, um, you know, so eventually when you get up to kind of the top of the organization, you eventually become so comfortable that it kind of uh, goes away. But I really don't think it should. Um, we should all be, always be asking ourselves fundamental questions about, you know, is this, is this the right room for me to, to, to be in? Um, if it doesn't feel like the right room, why do I feel like that? Is it just because I'm nervous or shy? Or is it actually not the right room and I need to get out of it because I can be better spending my time elsewhere? Right. Um, but the uh, but the but the basics um, overall, by which I, I, I really mean just the kind of the absolutely um, really easily done nuts and bolts of uh, of of the kind of the life of a team um, trying to do something and do it well. So it was a fantastic. Again, this is um, an HBR article, um, but their estimate is that like 84 percent of uh, companies fail to do a kind of a list of simple things. Well, and we're not talking about. Um, uh, anything even kind of remotely complicated. We're looking for like running meetings that are short, you know, intentional and productive, that, that, that they have agendas, that, that, they are, that they are empowering people to walk out of meetings if their room needs. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Right? Please say that one more Stage time. Stage a walkout. Say yeah. It. Just like if you're room meet, you need to be empowered to politely and quietly excuse yourself so you can do uh, other things with your time because the opportunity cost is like just too high. If you have 12 people in a meeting, that is 12 hours of people's effort that mm. is going into a single meeting. You think mm. that you can, you can take up 12 hours of effort? Like Mind that by two, three, or four. Per day. I I never knew that there was such a thing as less than a four hour meeting. <laughs> it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And it's so simple to do well, right? Um, and then, you know, it's, it, and then it you know, covers all the other stuff that we've kind of touched on, making sure that everyone knows what the mission is, making sure the vision for the organization overall is clear, like celebrating success, right? Like anniversaries, birthdays, whatever. Being reliable right is doing doing what you say you're going to do um and then there's the stuff like breaking down problems into constituent parts and making sure that people have like time to think you know all this kind of stuff but like the basics if 84 percent of companies aren't doing the basics well if you can be in that 16 percent, you already have an absolutely massive edge and so just think about it like you know um and a good place to start really is the meetings where you are bringing people together like what needs to change about this? I need to, everybody needs to read the, the Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. Um, shameless plug, she's my sister-in-law. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, she, it's amazing. She's a, she's a facilitator um, and she's written this absolutely phenomenal book about um, hey, she's what makes gathering great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she's, she's the business. Um, and it's a, it's a phenomenally impactful uh, book because it makes you frame things that you sort of think, see as simple like everybody's had the, the the conference feeling you walk into another room and you can feel like the energy sink like, <laughs> like often I like I, I sometimes just don't go to uh, the breakout meetings um, at conferences anymore because I can't hack it they're just like the absolute antithesis to what I think a kind of a meeting really should be about it's kind of it's not interactive. The slide decks are bad. The room is dark. There's no heat in the room. No one's saying anything controversial. No one makes a joke. It's just like, oh, it's brutal. Like, another on. reason why I wish that you were at Catalyst, because not to like toot that horn, because there was no way that we could have planned for 
the vibe that was there. But I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that most people walked away with was this is not like anything I've been to before. And it was, it was the antithesis of everything that you just said. And that couldn't have made me more proud. Yeah. Well, because like, you know, you took people around to a bunch of bars. <laughs> <laughs> well, right? a little bit more than that. No, I know, I know, I know. But when, <laughs> I, when I saw, yes. when I saw the, when I saw the, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean it in the way that that came out. <laughs> so, but when I saw each photo, you were in a different location. You had people in comfortable chairs. Then you had people sitting next to each other on benches. And you had people kind of on like bar stools and you had a cool environment. You were changing up the, the environment that people were sitting in, which was changing up their headspace. Yeah. Right, which also which then aligns with the change in, um, which then aligns with the change in subject matter, yeah. and then yeah. and then when people are thinking back to it, you know they can contextualize the subject matter in terms of the room that they were in, and so their recall is automatically better because they have a physical association to it, right? And it's just mind blowing that to me, anyways, that we go to these kind of like enormous conference centers, and I get it, like conferences are enormous, and there are only so many places that can can take us but there is very, very little imagination about the environment in which we have these conversations, which yeah. is why I think, you know, like the Innovation Pavilion and now the, you know, the Innovation Lounge at ACE and the Smart Water Hub at, um, uh, in, in Shanghai that we just did, is that it gives a, it's a totally different physical environment for people to come and have these conversations. And, mm -hmm. and over the years, like they've kind of like caught on. And now the challenge is to, you know, make that as, as good and differentiated as, as possible, obviously. But like the question then becomes like, where next? How can we kind of iterate on this idea? Where do we need to take people to talk about specific things to make sure that they're getting the maximum amount of those conversations? So you don't, be, you don't feel like you're being sucked into kind of a, a black hole of the soul. Exactly. Yeah, that's... I mean, we were curious about whether or not um, something like the what we did would would work and that we would pull it off, which kind of brings us into number seven. And I, it's actually learning, but to me, in order to learn, you have to begin with curiosity. And curiosity is actually one of our core values, and we see it as always learning, always improving. So why is learning one of your superpowers? Um, so for a couple of reasons. Um, Firstly, like we we don't see as learning we don't see learning ever as kind of part of our job. We think it's something that's like passively, you know, happens to us. Like we we will learn how to do mixed panel or get good at social media. We will understand how to do, you know, Google keywords or or whatever it is. That we'll learn the kind of function of our job and that is what we're that is that that is kind of the learning that we need to do. And we do some reading in our spare time, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> Like really effective, really effective organizations. I just don't, like you have, you have people within your organization. Imagine if every single one of them was becoming 15% smarter a year. Oh, every wow. single one of them on a hundred, across a hundred people getting 15% smarter a year. And then the next year getting 15% smarter again. You're then getting 15% smarter on a larger number. And so knowledge really does compound. Yeah. And so the power of becoming kind of a learning organization is absolutely enormous. Um, you know, the most extreme example uh, of, uh, of this, um, you know, oh, well, 
it is kind of learning, but Google's like has a day a week where people can go and do side projects, like w whatever it is. It doesn't have to be, um, uh, it doesn't have to be anything to do with kind of, you know, Google's core mission. It's just whatever it is that you want to do. They're encouraging people to go and explore their curiosity and creativity because they know that the best way to learn is to go and do practical stuff where you can fail and fail quickly and iterate. And then they can bring that knowledge back into their core job in the organization. Um, and who knows where that's going to, who knows that where that's going to, um, uh, you know, benefit, um, you know, some other team kind of within the organization. Like, but it's this idea of, of improvement, like within the people who are part of the organization, that making sure that there is forward momentum, like conscious forward momentum in terms of that improvement. Like no one ever likes to hear someone say, my dad likes to say, but my dad likes to say, <laughs> it's hard to steer a stationary bicycle. And it's always kind of stuck with me. Is that like that forward momentum on whatever it is, is like that co like constant improvement is really, really, really important. And I like, in terms of learning, I really don't care like what it is. Like it could be kind of medieval history or video games or bird watching, like stenography, personal finance, woodwork, whatever. <laughs> like, like when I was 17, this like slightly, he's, he's an author now, um, but he, he was a very odd guy. Oh, I can actually see one of his books right now. Um, he's a slightly odd guy. Um, and he just decided to give a talk on comic books. Um, and he got like, you know, he was sort of put up a couple of signs around the school and seven of us turned up or something. And he took us through like the way in which he thought about this comic book Watchmen, um, ah. which was well, at times, well, at times um, you know, one, top 100 books of the, the 20th century. Um, and it absolutely fundamentally changed what I thought as literature and made me really examine my like assumptions around kind of graphic novels as a secondary source of literature. I, I don't read graphic novels. It didn't like get me into them but it gave me a kind of a renewed respect for an alternative medium that I may not be into, but actually has enormous worth as, um, uh, you know, as a piece of literature, as information transfer, as art, right? And so like what that like brought to me was that there is no gathering about a specific topic, like too small. And one of the beauties of the internet is that you can always find people that, have, that, share, a, um, that share a common uh, idea. But within kind of an organization, like you, I think you just wanna make sure that you and your teams are following their, 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 are following their own curiosity, like literally whatever it is, um, getting them to, like, to read about it and then hopefully take action on it um and then encourage them to speak about it like get people to start book groups like you know even if it's just you and one other person to start with you yeah. know like, do those weird talks that like few people come to like <laughs> because people will always be like oh what's going on over there and then they'll sit in and if you're do if you're talking about something that you are truly interested in and jazzed about people get that they get it communicated to them and it's fun right and people flock to things that are fun so doing those weird talks that like few people come to come to is that one like that's see that, every conversation me and arianne have together is like a weird okay. talk that people like come to and then they're like right. oh, i think this whole <laughs> communication and water thing yeah 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 no it's but it's but you guys are really fun right and it's it's like it's it's important <laughs> Um, it's not it's more than important it's absolutely vital and once people do that they'll start doing it by themselves 
right? And as they do it by themselves, they'll improve farther and faster than you ever thought possible. And then you get that compounding effect of everybody getting better within an organization and everybody having more fun in an organization. And the more fun people are having within an organization, the less likely they are to leave. And everybody knows that one of the worst things that can happen you know, to an organization, especially a small one, is, is people go and take their, take their, um, their knowledge and, and presence with them. Obviously, sometimes that's a positive, um, but more, <laughs> more, more often than not, you know, that is something that you don't want to, to happen. So giving people room LeBron to- LeBron James, take your talents elsewhere. Right, 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 exactly. So the, yeah, the more that you can get people to- Yeah, LeBron, bro. They've got LeBron. You want, yeah, every organization should aspire to be the LeBron James of organizational learning, <laughs> right? Yeah, so that's the, that's the last one. And when you kind of take them together, like I really think that if you can get all of these place, plates spinning at the, at the time and the kind of revisit this stuff on, you know, maybe even kind of a quarterly basis and making sure that you are kind of into, integrating it into the way in which you think about your organization uh, or organizational element, no matter how big or small, like, I just think that there are kind of wild advantages um, of taking them all together. It's hard. Like it all sounds simple. It's really hard. Um, but we th- but this is what we've seen from the, the companies that do, that do the best. And just a couple of things, a couple of quick points that came to mind while you were talking is, you know, talking about the idea of learning. Yes. Like 100% it's your responsibility to pour into yourself, but Also, like there's other people that you can lean on and bring into and don't think that you have to be the expert at everything. And so that's really why for Catalyst, we didn't call it a conference. We called it a mastermind group because we wanted people to know that they could lean on the expertise of others. Like if there is something that you're curious in, go explore that, learn more about it, get excited about it. But also, don't feel I'm, obligated to. I'm never going to be an expert in branding the way that Duke Greenhill is, who was one of our speakers. And so, if I have something about branding, I'm going to go to him and I'm going to ask him as part of like a mastermind group. Or if I uh, want to talk to somebody um, about innovation and what's going on in water tech around the world and who's going to blow our minds about seven superpowers, then I'm going to call it Tom Ferguson, you know? So, like there doesn't need to be like, you don't need to do it all on your own. You can lean on no, your absolutely. fellow water nerds. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I also love how you talked about how the Watchmen and how it didn't get you into graphic novels, but it taught you something that you were able to take and apply in your own way. And Megan U. Schneider in a conversation after day one was over was talking about how as water educators, we need to stop feeling like we need to, um, proselytize because we're not trying we don't necessarily need to convert everyone to be like we are we just need them to gain a value of water in their own context and be able to take that and spread that to a new audience or um, their own neighbors or their own friends like no one is ever going to love water the way that we do and that's fine but we just need them to see the value in it in their own lives in their own places and if we have water nerds in marketing and if we have water nerds in tech and if we have water nerds in finance i mean that's amazing not everyone has to march to the same drum you know just be totally. one and we can all just make a beautiful jazz yeah 
Yeah, 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 exactly. No, you, you can't ask too much of these, too much of these things. But like, you know, even, you know, moving the ball down the field kind of even slightly can make an absolutely enormous difference. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with Megan, yeah. yeah. Um, one hundo. So real quick, um, you ended with a quote that was pretty awesome at Catalyst. Um, and oftentimes we do feel like we're screaming solutions that aren't getting heard. But let us know what that quote is real quick. And yeah. before we get into our lightning round, um, sure. let's that quote. Yeah, so, so this is from a guy called Jim O'Shaughnessy who runs, a, uh, or did, now his son runs it, um, the excellent Patrick O'Shaughnessy. Um, uh, he's got a fantastic podcast um, called, and it's a bad title um, uh, for people in the water industry. Um, it's called Invest Like the Best, uh, but it's got absolutely fantastic guests that really go into uh, a, a lot of detail about like, you know, rich thinking, the way in which, you know, you can go about your career in kind of the right way. I can thoroughly recommend it. But anyway, the, the quote from his dad, uh, Jim, um, is uh, this, that you can scream from the rooftop what the secret sauce is, and it doesn't matter because people won't do it. So like within kind of the, the asset management industry, I mean, it could not be more insanely competitive. You know, these are, these are hundreds of thousands of the world's smartest people all competing for the same thing, which is kind of outsized investment returns. I mean, it is, it's a joke. It's a joke competitive. Um, but then on the other side of it, you have all of these fantastic people who are, you know, doing podcasts and writing amazing blogs and, and basically putting the way in which they have uh, secured those outsized returns out there at, at no personal gain to themselves. Just like going through and, um, and, uh, and, and looking at the kind of key ideas that they think are important to make, that makes them like good at their job, which always struck me as a bit odd. Like, why would you want to give away your secret source and it suddenly like dawned on me when I saw this quote is that like incentives and inertia are really 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 powerful like inertia in particular like getting people to change what they are doing no matter how much outside information they have is really really important and so I think like you know what it, the message to the people at Catalyst was is to just like start with something small and just make that change or test something yep right? Move yourself towards like what you know is a better way of doing things. Like have that conversation with your boss, make your case, mm -hmm. right? Like do, try and not fall victim to this thing. Become the people, become a person who will do it rather than the 99.8% of people who won't. Because again, like you want to give yourself an edge in whatever you're doing and just like willing to put good things into action like gives you a real edge rather than just like staying on the on the train tracks and just going in your predetermined kind of direction. Yes, sir. Um, I'm going to let Arian jump into the lightning round that we have not come up with a better name for. The lightning round. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Ah. What's your favorite book right now that you can recommend? Yeah, so I just finished um, Big Mistakes, uh, which is a book by a guy called Michael Batnick, um, uh, which is about the biggest mistakes that the world's, uh, that the history's best investors um, have made. Really, really interesting look at how uh, the smartest people in the world screw up um, uh, in, in kind of hilariously billion dollar fashions. Um, it's, it's very well written and it's short, which um, is really helpful. Um, the one that, the, the, last, the last book that I, I, I um, usually I'm a big movie fiend, so I watch a lot of uh, movies on planes. But coming back from Shanghai, I, I read um, Seven Hours Straight, um, which is uh, uh, Alice Schroeder's 
um, biography of Warren Buffett called The Snowball. Um, and if, even if you don't care at all about investing, it is just an absolutely fascinating look um, at, about, at a very, very flawed guy. But the, I mean, it was, it, it was the first time I'd really taken a pen to a book, but my God, that is absolutely covered. It's absolutely covered in pen marks and stars and, you know, beautiful writing in the margins. And then like, um, just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a wisdom handbook, um, about, you know, uh, someone that reflects really the best, uh, and worst of, of, of all of us. It was just, just fascinating. Ah, love it. What's something you do every single day that drives your productivity? Yeah, like a lot of people, it's lists. Um, uh, you know, there's a uh, there are kind of you know three absolute uh, must dos at the top. Um, but what I've been trying to do more and more is is schedule. Um, I like what well, I was just reflecting on this kind of the other day, and I don't know why the calendar is the default of the calendar is to open. Um, I feel like the default of the calendar is, should be to closed. Like you should be, you know, head down, getting on with stuff. Like that should be your default mode. It's not kind of like everybody weighed into my calendar and put put um, put uh, put your time into my time, um, just because you kind of feel like you can. So what I've really tried to do is is close off specific areas. Um, you know, usually in the afternoon. To just get into, you know, get into kind of deep work, you know, that point where you kind of look up, look, I look up an hour and a half later and you've got like four pages of whatever behind you or suddenly you have a group, you know, a topic sales spreadsheet or you've made like 95 introductions for companies, you know, like really getting into it. Like, and I think that that idea of, um, of reversing the way in which you conceptualize your, your calendar is a, is a really important one. Yeah, that's definitely helped us when someone busted out the idea of, Tuesday is, you know, the most productive day of the week, we purposefully scheduled, you know, or, or put a block in there from eight to five, that that's our day to get our crap done. Yeah. So, Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's a priority, right? You don't let anyone infringe on it, no matter who they are. Even, even ourselves. Sometimes I'll like forget that and, and schedule a hair appointment or, or take a right. the doctor and she's like, no, nope. no, no, no. Get it out of there. Yep. It's really sensible. I I completely agree. So what? Oh, go ahead. Well, okay. So on episode one, when we interviewed you, you gave us my favorite elevator pitch for water to do. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I didn't want to ask you that question again because you already gave it. But we've been asking everyone else. Sort of, um, we're firm believers that this whole idea of well, what difference does it make if I change? Cause I'm just one person. We think that's a whole bunch of rubbish and we think that one change can ultimately become contagious and someone else will see it and be like, Oh, well, I like this person and they're doing that. So I'm going to do it. And so we firmly believe in one call to action, one change that can essentially change the world. So what's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe can change the world? Oh, uh, like I'm going to, I'm going to cheat slightly because it's maybe uh, like there is a kind of a corollary action element uh, to it. Um, but I've been thinking, uh, I spent all of my time with entrepreneurs, right? And the kind of really what is kind of endemic within that is like the fetishization of novelty is that people are always looking for the new. Um, and actually the old is unbelievably important and overlooked. Um, and really the way in which kind of this, it crystallizes in my mind with this question is this, this idea of respect for maintenance and respect for mm -hmm. maintainers. 
um, you know, we just had a, uh, uh, you know, a conversation with the garbage guy outside because we took our son outside because he's obsessed with garbage trucks. And we just had, you know, like a little chat, um, you know, it certainly breaks up his, um, his day and it, it helps you for, like forge connections with the people who are at the, who, who underpin our society, right? You know, without that guy, we would have garbage piling up in the streets. Yep. Right? Like these are the people, the, the water operators, the uh, the garbage truck drivers, like the people who maintain the electricity grid, the policemen, the firemen. They are the people that, like, without which we wouldn't be able to swan around and 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 obviously, you know, and always think about uh, the novelty. So, in terms of the call to action, it would just be like respect the maintainers. Um, mm, maintainers. You, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and um, and also, like in in the same way that you know, like reframe your your view of comic books. Like, the, one of the reasons I got into water is that everybody else thinks it's unsexy. Mm -hmm. And if everybody else thinks it's unsexy, it probably has something to it, right? Yeah. Because people are sheep. You know, they really want to go. Like, if there's a great thing about um, MBAs is that you know, if you can you can understand like what is hitting its peak by the proportion of MBAs that are going into it, whether it's banking or entrepreneurship or cryptocurrency or whatever it is. Like if an MBA is going there, it's probably towards the end of its life cycle. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so like out of my class of 900, three people went into water, right? And, and so I think like, look at these industries. If, you're, if anyone's listening to this, is thinking about like where their next step is going to be and they're curious about kind of the water industry, like I, I couldn't maintain, I couldn't recommend it enough because like it is an industry of maintainers. And sometimes they try and maintain too much and don't do enough new stuff. Like that's fine. At the core of it is doing the hard, sexy, or the hard, unsexy, difficult, overlooked invisible work that you know allowed societies to society to exist and not only is that like unbelievably noble it's it's like it's really exciting so you know if there is anyone out there that's that's doing that like you know come and join us it's a it's a good place to work hey yes like i love that you're ending with this kind of notion of just punk rock rebelliousness because me and arianne both have that streak in us and have always kind of been in our own respective lives growing up been like, oh, everyone else is doing that? Eh, I don't know that I want to be a part of that. And, you know, in some cases, like for, in my case, like I wasn't invited into that. And instead of being, and instead of feeling left out, I used that as an opportunity to just change the way that I looked at it and look at it more as, um, well, I'm just a rebel. Do my own thing. Yeah, I'm going to do my own thing and forget all them and, um, who knew that that would turn into this? this. <laughs> right. No, exactly. And it's great. It's great. It really is. So, um, golly, this is, this has been like, Arianne's been taking notes as you've been talking and she's got about like a page and a half going. So this was incredible. I'm so glad that you took the time to kind of redo your presentation. I mean, you fit that. I mean, we've been on here for like I don't, uh, over an hour and you fit in all of that into 30 minutes at Catalyst. <laughs> so it's been kind of cool to get the unabridged version. Like yeah. this is the director's cut of um, right. global tribal collaboration and the seven superpowers per Tom Ferguson at Imagine H2O. So um, thank you so much. Thank you for being our friend. And golly, like, can you get a summer home in Fort Worth? Like, 
Well, not a summer home, maybe a winter home. I don't know. You live in California, so it's pretty nice all the time, but. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it certainly did too. We'll, uh, we'll have to uh, have that conversation with, uh, with my boss, not only in terms of time, but um, <laughs> in terms of a raise. Whoa. I said it. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for having me on guys. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I obviously, you know, good luck with everything and looking forward to the next time we speak. You can find the show notes at the h2duo.com backslash water in real life where we have all the resources mentioned in today's episode. We are super passionate about being a resource for the industry and we can only do that with your help. Show us some love by simply subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and while you're there be sure to rate and review us as well. We're trying to get the only duo run show about water some shelf space on that iTunes homepage. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore H2 duo. Be sure to check us out. We'd love to hear from you. As Sir George Hawkins said, that's right, I queened myself and knighted him. He addressed the audience of water educators at Catalyst and said, the future of water, ergo the future of civilization, rests firmly on your shoulders as the communicators and educators tasked with conveying that ever important message. Hashtag challenge accepted. We hope you learned something new, got a little inspired, and most importantly, took action on something today that will move you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world. Mm